Oh man, it's not streaming anywhere. <laughs> just watch just said, "Oops, we couldn't find any streaming offers." That's Sounds about not right. Surprising. That that means that means hit That's your be hit a, your county library system now. It's gonna be hard to hard to find that one. I think. All right, I'm a little disappointed. I don't I don't think the entire Allegheny County library system in any format has this movie. <laughs> I, I I am now checking Pennsylvania's library system. <laughs> Do, does the state have its own separate library system? Well, I I think it's because then any library in the state can send it to a different library. I was not aware of this. What what, what this is gonna sound stupid? Is it just called like Pennsylvania Library? Oh no, it's called PowerLibrary.org. Never heard of this. I found it from my local library's website. This might be a game changer. <laughs> Josh is gonna find so much old crap to watch. I better. <laughs> Keyword title. Yeah, let's do that. Aha, yes, I got it. I think they have one. <laughs> Who's they? Where to find it? Free Library of Philadelphia. <laughs> Looks like they might have I don't know if this is one result or they just they're literally just one copy. I, I cannot yeah, I imagine so. they the, own more than one. They're the yeah, they're the only result. Man, that one person Anywhere. in Philadelphia that rents rents that or <laughs> takes that that movie out like every couple of weeks just to watch it because it's their favorite. You'd be so disappointed when you get that shipped off to Pittsburgh. I'm 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 gonna work through this to see if I can actually get it sent here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy this is happening. Oh, me too. Oh, this is this is great. <laughs> I'm getting cock blocked by this library website. <laughs> fucking government i don't know how like i can i can <laughs> log in but i don't know how to i don't know how to register i wouldn't be surprised if for the first two non-librarians to use the website this week <laughs> <laughs> like i can find my library on their big list but then it wants a username and password but it doesn't give me any way to register all right this is my mission over over this this week he's gonna get it even back. before we even have to do the movie and just you, you might have to go to the library to find out how to make an account <laughs> we're gonna figure this shit out yeah <laughs> all right I, I i am i am done now we can start <laughs> i think brian's written down a starting time like 13 times <laughs> i know i keep scratching it out and starting over Sorry. he's like we're gonna start now fuck no we're not we're gonna start now fuck no we're not no we're gonna start now fuck no we're not yeah, Andy, you're not helping right now. <laughs> I know. I just keep going. Welcome to another episode of Brian and Super Friends. I'm your host, Brian Labick. Joining me for this episode, he's already friend-requested Bob the Pirate on Facebook, Andy Stoles. What's up, podcast people? Next up, someone who may or may not own a space gerbil that poops pearls, Josh Zorch. I, I would be the envy of all my friends. <laughs> and finally, his performance art is the best in the universe. No shaped shifting required, Ian Leidick. I am proud 
to announce. I have created the very first NFT for Bry Guy and his super friends. You can purchase an NFT of the podcast logo on nifty.com. That's nfty.com. All proceeds for this sale will go to funding my script for DC House Hunters. Wait, what is, pitch pitch us DC House Hunters. What what are you So Martian Manhunter needs to find a new home. So we're going house hunting in Venice Beach. Nice. That's episode one. Episode two, Wonder Woman needs a whole new island for the Amazons. So we're going island hunting. We're starting with El Chapo's Island where Firefest took place. <laughs> now I'm also trying to like slyly try to look for our NFT and see if it's there. <laughs> you like the, I really like the website name Nifty. It's it's Nifty. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um, all right, so on tap for this episode is another Rewind Theater. So if you are new to this series of episodes, it's uh, basically an excuse for us to go back, try to revisit some older comic book movies that we haven't seen or either haven't seen in a while. Uh, our format for these has always been to start with some sort of comic book history for the movie that we're on, uh, since these are all based on comic books or graphic novels of some kind. Uh, Josh usually takes the point on that one. After that, we'll talk about some of the people involved with transitioning that property into a movie. We'll go over the budgets, box office gross ratings, first time watch or rewatch for all of us. Uh, and then before we get into the discussion, I'm going to throw out the spoiler alert and we'll get to a 60 second summary, which one of us has volunteered to do ahead of time. So our when we get to the main discussion, our main discussion will consist of five categories. We have directing, characters and actors, story, soundtrack, and special effects and explosions. Uh, we give ourselves a 10 minute timer for each of those categories just to try to keep us on track. Once we go through all of those, we'll end the discussion of the movie with our rating and see if everyone thinks the movie holds up. Um, finally, once we finish talking about the movie we're on, uh, we have to decide what we're watching next. So to take some of that pressure off of us, we leave it up to the Wheel of Fate. The Wheel of Fate! To pick that movie. So if you've listened to past episodes, you'll know that we've been trying to stick to, right now, three franchises and three standalone movies on the wheel at a time. Uh, we reserve the right to change that format if we feel like that's not working as well as we'd hope, so that could change later. Either way, at the end of the episode, we're going to spin the wheel to see what we're watching next. So, at the end of our last episode we did, which was 1993's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, the wheel has selected 2017's Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. So, that is what we will be discussing today. Uh, so, at this point, <clears throat> we usually toss to Josh for the comic book background. Uh, but I also know at this point we got pressed for time and he actually did not get a chance to do the comic book background. Uh, so we're going to sub in some sort of pre-recorded uh, informational piece that he's going to give us. So we'll just throw it out to uh, Second Josh to give us the information. Second Josh is my favorite Josh. <laughs> well, thank you for that intro, Brian, and welcome everyone to class, which is happening in real time in uh, the real world immediately after Brian just said those things. and and. This is the next sentence that is being uttered in real reality. Uh, Valerian uh, is based on a French comic that first appeared in Pilote magazine in 1967 and didn't conclude until 2010. Now, before we go any further, I should definitely tell you that I'm going to lean hard into the French pronunciations of these, even though I don't know how to speak French whatsoever. Three years in uh, middle school and high school of German is as far as I got, but here we go. 
Uh, Valerian et Lorlin, also known as Valerian Agent Special Temporel, created uh, was created by childhood friends, writer Pierre Christen and artist Jean-Claude Mezerez. Christian, uh, Christen, Pierre Christen, holds a background in political science and taught French literature at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City uh, before returning to the University of Bordeaux in France. Uh, Mezerez is an educated and trained illustrator who also briefly lived in the U.S. before returning to France um, and beginning their collaborations. Uh, as an illustrator, uh, Mezerez had a uh, profound interest in the American Wild West, um, that which was actually one of the main uh, drivers of him going to uh, and living in America for a bit of time. And uh, I think that fascination with that era and obviously the the cowboy uh, romanticism of, of, of American lore can be seen in uh, the, the type of story and, and construct of, of Valerian. Um, as uh, somebody might bring up possibly later, who knows, these are just ideas that could occur to somebody, because of course this is sequentially happening one after the other, uh, that there could be connection ties between influences of uh, these creators and, uh, and the Fifth Element film from the late 90s, uh, seeing as maybe somebody points out that Luc Besson was uh, such a fan uh, of the, the, the comic for so long that he, he really wanted to get into doing this project for so long, but lacked the technological ability to do so, that uh, he creates something like The Fifth Element. And maybe it's just a coincidence that we're learning now, now, uh, but afterward, that uh, Mezerez, the illustrator, uh, was an uncredited designer uh, a production designer on the fifth element and and maybe that's something that you'll could maybe hear happen who knows um, but how do they get started uh, in 1966 uh, after both returning to France they publish something called La Rume de Punch together and by the next year uh, they start to kick off this idea of Valerian uh, Valerian is from uh, from everything I can tell, uh, very, very heavy in, in material. There's just a lot of it. As I said, I mean, it ran for 43 years. Um, so over that time, no matter what your you know work output is and what your publishing cadence is, there, there's there's bound to be a, a, a solid big volume of, of work there. So all in all, a total of 21 volumes of the story, plus a short story collection were created and these are available in you know various omnibuses and and different types of publishing collections that you can find all in all different uh different creations of theirs of of, of the published creations have been translated and and produced in 18 different languages um i'm not sure what a a, a benchmark for that is how typical or atypical that may be um but at least to me as as, as a layman that sounds pretty impressive uh, that the influence and demand for for this uh, this idea and, 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 and these stories was such that uh, far and wide 
uh, it, it was translated into a dozen and a half different languages uh, for different nations and cultures to enjoy. Uh, lastly, we'll say that the origins of the early stories uh, and many that followed after that really rely uh, heavily on time travel plot devices that really aren't present uh, in, in the Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets film. Uh, for instance, the role that Valerian holds in in the you know uh, 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 Terran military as as we see uh, in in the the source material is really more akin to like a space time cop, um, you know, making sure people aren't screwing with uh, you know displacement and, and and temporal anomalies and whatnot that could cause issues. Um, if you're familiar with the Umbrella Academy. The agents, uh, especially in season one, that are sort of after them and whatnot, uh, in my mind, sort of borrows from that idea, whether those creators were uh, deliberately aware of this or not. But um, if you're looking for a parallel and if you're familiar with that, uh, that's what it reminds me of. Um, so where does uh, Laura Lane come from? Where does she come into the fold? So at some point in... in uh, Valerian's early missions and, and adventures, uh, he finds himself in 11th century France um, and encounters Laureline there in the past. She is a, a peasant girl from, uh, you know, the Middle Ages of, of Europe. Through their encounter, she learns and discovers what Valerian is, who he is, what it all means. And uh, just like any good person who travels back 2500 years um he takes her from her time and place in history to the future uh where she uh is trained and learned you know everything that that exists in, in their present um to the point where she is also uh put through to become an agent herself uh and assigned as his partner and that's sort of where we pick up the foundations of their relationship in the film. Um, to some degree, as you can tell in, in this movie, uh, their ideas and the material are, are deeply rooted in ideas of political science, science fiction, Westerns, as well as sociology, anthropology, psychology, um, a lot of mixing of the social sciences along with uh, science fiction and, and fantasy as, as we come to see. So, uh, again, we'll return in real time to the discussion uh, as the very next sentence you'll hear is, is going to occur right after I'm, I'm saying this. And, and there's no difference of, of, of time displacement whatsoever. So uh, we're continuing on as we do right now. This second go. I'm so thankful that you sacrifice your time each week to give us this thought-provoking comic book discussion. It's really a joy of my week when we record these, Josh, to hear you give us the history of these comic books. I think it really adds a big flavor that really um, really changes our discussion later on when we get this background right before we discuss the movie. I think it's really important that we get that right before we go into the discussion. It was so informative. So informative. <laughs> I don't even know how to transition from that. You're, you're all Good very job. welcome. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> also edited Mike saying it. <laughs> uh, all right. So at this point, uh, who was involved with transitioning that property into a movie? 
so Luke Besson directed and wrote the screenplay for this movie. Besson is probably most well-known for writing and directing such movies as Leon the Professional, The Fifth Element, and Lucy. He also wrote all of the Transporter movies and all of the Taken movies, so, you know, take that as you will. Uh, the cast includes Dean DeHaan as Valerian, uh, Cara Delevingne as Loreline, Clive Owen as Commander Fillet, uh, Rihanna as Bubble, Ethan Hawke as Jolly the Pimp. That's literally what he's... Which I didn't get until I read the IMDb. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll move on to budgets. Any guesses what this film's budget is? Based on like the special effects and stuff, I'm thinking it's going to be fairly high. Uh, if I had to take a shot, let's go 170. Okay. I'm going to go with my gut. And even though he just said, I'm going to go 178. <laughs> 178 for Andy. 170 for Josh. Ian, where do you fall? I really wanted to say 170. <laughs> so I, uh, since I was slow on the uptick, because I just I was so impressed by Josh's research this week already, <laughs> I think I'll go with 180. Uh... Actual retail price, $177 million. So Andy oh, was off by $1 million. But I was over. I can't win if I'm over. If, yeah, if we want to do prices right rules. Yeah. Josh took it. I'm still freaking, going like closest in, in numbers for me. Freaking Bob Barker. <laughs> um, War criminal. Any, what? <laughs> when? Why? <laughs> no, we're not going there. Uh, any, any, <laughs> any guesses? Keep moving. Keep moving. <laughs> the uh, the worldwide box office for this movie cost 177 million to make. How much do you think it made at the box office? Significantly less. Less than the budget. Uh, domestically, absolutely. If I have to go worldwide, 311. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <That> band sucks. <laughs> Ian, Andy, any guesses? 282. 282. Yes. Andy? Uh, mm, 258. Uh, final number, 226. Ooh. So you guys were I, all over. I was thinking 225, but I, I thought, like, when, when you said, like, when you kind of checked me there, like, lower than the budget? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, it had to at least have made <laughs> somewhat significantly above the budget, but I guess not. Yeah, not significant. It made more than the budget, but not by much. I mean that's a third over. Yeah, I don't. I like that's the budget. I what I don't know is if Box Office Mojo calculates like marketing budget because I know the film's not going to break even until the marketing budget is covered. Also, it doesn't. And the but the marketing budget I think is usually as much as the actual budget. Right. So, so you'd have. But to then almost... again, no movie in Hollywood makes money. So yeah, yeah. Um. So it breaks down to domestically, it made forty-one million. Which I think is pretty terrible, but it's also impressive how much it made internationally. Right, international is 185 million. I wonder how much of that was just China. I probably could have broken that down if I kept the website open, but I don't have it with me. I would say it's got to be around half. So I this... I wouldn't be surprised if they had a better working knowledge of what this property was, because I think at least for me, like I had no idea what this was based on. It just yeah. I just looked like a sci-fi movie to me. I just thought it was a new IP. Luckily, we got that comic book summary up at the top, so we all know what it's based on. <laughs> you got a good working foundation. 
But yeah, uh, the French comic book series from what I believe the 1970s. So it's like that's not familiar at all. I think for Western audiences, well, Western is in American audiences. Yeah, like I didn't know it was based on something until it came up on the wheel. Oh yeah, that's when I found out in. Like then finding out it's basically like a um Buck Rogers kind of thing essentially. Mm. Oh okay yeah I could see that. It's just Good like, comparison. but it's also like man Buck Rogers wasn't even popular in like the eighties. <laughs> you know man you just ruined my entire summary. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck man? <laughs> oh, I can't wait for this now. Um, <laughs> I'm just messing. I have nothing about Buck Rogers in there. Hurry up. Put it in right now. Um, this is right, going to so be going, Buck Rogers <laughs> at the end. Um, so the ratings that we have listed right now. So Rotten Tomatoes has it at a critic rating of 47% and an audience rating of 53%. Metacritic uh, has a meta score of 51 and a user score of 6.5. So it's a little bit more generous on Metacritic. Uh, Still so pretty to, average scores, though. Yeah. Like, very middle of the road. Right. Um, so, going around the room, we'll start with uh, Andy. First time viewing or rewatch? This is a rewatch for me. In fact, I think the first time I watched it, we did a What's Up With You episode, and I think I sort of did give a summary, a summation of my viewing experience, if I recall. Okay. I remember talking about it on the, t- yeah. on the show. Um, Ian, first time or rewatch? Uh, first time, I, I remember seeing the trailer for this while I was sitting in for another film. Do not recall which film, <laughs> but I was sitting there and I watched this trailer and I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing we forced you to watch it here. This has happened to me more than once now. <laughs> <laughs> Chalk this up to all those Turtles movies we keep having them watch. Uh, Josh, rewatch or first time? It's a rewatch, but I must have. I swear I watched this when I was working at the movie theater, but when I went to log it on Letterboxd, I did not already have it there. So either I like, it's one of the few ticket stubs that I didn't retain uh, and, and lost. Cause I've, I've kept everything like even if it sucked. So it wasn't a case of like, well, I don't want to remember that. Um, but I know I've seen it before. Okay. Um, yeah. This, well, I've, Mentioned it on the podcast before, every time we try to spin the wheel. I have not seen this movie. It's a movie that I felt like I should like, that I saw the trailer for it and thought it looked interesting. Reviews came out. It wasn't reviewed well, so I didn't really go out of my way to see it. Uh, Bought the Blu-ray on sale at some point for like a Black Friday and then sat on it for probably a year and a half and finally just fired it up and watched it for this show. Oh, wow. You you even, like, bought the Blu-ray without even having seen it. It was, like, seven bucks, and I was like, I know it, even just from the trailer, like, it looks pretty. So I figured high def on a TV, like, at home with the surround sound and stuff, it's got to look and play decent. I would well, say that the... is one of its strengths. Did yeah. you get, like, the Ultra HD version or just the regular 1080p? Four, yeah, it was right? a 4K. 4K. Okay. Yeah. So, but, it, again, it was, like, seven bucks or six bucks or something, so I was like, what the hell, might as well. It's almost as much to rent it as it is to just buy the Blu-ray, so I might as well just buy it. Uh, so yeah, first first time for me. Um, so all right, so we're at the point now where we'll get into our discussion portion. So since we'll be discussing everything in the movie, I'm going to throw out the spoiler alert now. So if you have not seen 2017's Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, don't want spoiled, 
You can pause this now and come back to us after you watch the film. Uh, if you'd like to listen on anyway, right after the spoiler alert is our 60-second summary, which will hopefully give you enough of a general plot of the movie that you can <laughs> listen further and, yes. and go through our discussion yes. with us. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> either way... all of that. <laughs> <laughs> either way, spoilers to follow. Wee-oo-wee-oo. Spoiler! Wee-oo-wee-oo. Spoiler! You know, something like that. All right, so we have the spoiler alert out of the way. We're going to roll into the 60-second summary. Um... The goal is primarily to try to give you at least an idea of the plot of the movie. So if you care to listen on, it'll it'll give you an idea of sort of what the movie's about. Uh, we've added the challenge of having to give you that summary in under 60 seconds. So we'll see how this goes. Luckily, if you miss any details, you can rewind and listen to it again. See what you missed. Um, so I'm going to give Andy our little timer here. i got to cue this up for him. Not going to lie. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> You said you didn't do any dry runs on this, right? So this is just... I didn't, no. Yeah. I mean, in my head, but fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So whenever you are ready, I will hit play on the uh, soundtrack whenever you're ready. Okay. Um, go. Welcome to the world of Valerian, where there is a city of a thousand planets, reminiscent of Men in Black's Marble Galaxy gag. Really? But not really. It's a city with a thousand planets in terms of species and cultures a paradise world is destroyed and we spend the entirety of the movie getting clues to help us and its characters solve the riddle this all takes place with dazzling motion and special effects the characters are in a relationship that flitters between professional and personal which will it be (laughs) there's an alien critter that has an absolutely incredible ability to replicate things does he eat them and then shit them out this narrator says yes (laughs) imagine all the gold doubloons micro machines or podcast awards you could have (laughs) Anyways, they find a hidden species and help them reform their home world. Fuck Rogers! (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Under 60. Hey, you know, for doing that last minute, Andy, that's pretty good. Yeah, I didn't think I didn't think it was bad considering I didn't take any notes and I was just sort of riffing when I got home from work today. I was just like, um, I'm just going to write some stuff down and see what happens. (laughs) That's almost the best way to do it. Like, what do you retain from the movie? What did what did the movie imprint on you that you can remember? Um, all right. So that was our summary. So we're going to get into our categories. So we have our five topics. Uh, I will be putting 10 minutes on the clock for each of those. Uh, so do we have any volunteers for what we'd like to hit first direction, story, actors, soundtrack. Okay. Ian soundtrack, soundtrack first soundtrack is yours. Go ahead. So, um, this, this, the soundtrack has one good song on it and it's by David Bowie. Rest in power. And then from there, the soundtrack is absolutely abysmal. Throughout the film, I was pissed off because of the, the, the orchestra sounds they use for different scenes was like too like uplifty fantasy bullshit nonsense that I'm expecting they- from Disney. Like it, that, that fucking, um, what's his fucking name? Danny Elfman. Yeah, like that George Clooney movie with House in it. Adventureland or something. Oh, Tomorrowland. Uh- <laughs> Tomorrowland. Like that kind of fucking bullshit frenzy happy fucking song shit it sucked it's 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 in a fucking space opera even it's a fucking shit fest of a soundtrack that fucking ruined what could have been enjoyable parts of the movie and scene (laughs) i I was i at least want to point out too like i i went to the to spotify to try to look at the soundtrack up as i was trying to put this outline together like well finish the outline right before this just to give it one more listen to see if there's anything in there that really stood out to me just looking at the track list, apparently, and maybe just it's the way Spotify had it, but 
Cara Delevingne has a track on the soundtrack. Yeah, it's it's one of the that. tracks when the credits roll. You can hear her voice. Okay. Yeah, I definitely yeah. didn't notice that when I watched the movie. Because I had to, jazzy, I had to double take it. Like, wait, she's in the movie. Wait, she has a song? Wait, is this any good? No, it's not. Just keep going. <laughs> so that was my takeaway from the soundtrack. I didn't realize uh, that Cara Delevingne even sang, let alone has a song on the soundtrack. But, uh, Andy, what did you think of the soundtrack? It didn't distract me from anything. And and I, I agree with uh, Ian. Like, the movie starts out with a perfectly placed David Bowie song, like, right in the beginning. And it just yeah. puts you in this awesome mood. And then it just gets really weird right after that. Like, <laughs> pretty much right after the song ends. You're just like, this is weird now. I don't know. <laughs> um, the songs were okay. I, I guess the, the song that uh, Bubble did her little performance like with i guess was kind of fun because it was sort of a fun scene yeah um but mostly forgettable and like ian said it is sort of like jumpy happy in moments when you're like this shouldn't be jumpy happy they're they got right gear on and they're invading an alien species right now so it shouldn't be like you know like gotcha uh josh what do you think of the soundtrack uh, yeah, I, I had the same feelings as that. I thought like it definitely hit the ground running, but then became very inconsistent. Um, there's not a whole lot of the orchestral that I remember, honestly, and it just it felt very uneven. Like they at times tried to do this mashup of using, uh, you know, historical pop songs along with uh, uh, sort of a... Um, subversion of music as well uh like you mentioned like a good prime example of what i mean by that is like think of if you remember it think of the music that plays during the church scene in the first kingsman um and and a lot of directors and movie makers have been doing this the last maybe 10 years more often where you you juxtapose a scene with something that traditionally really wouldn't go with it and by doing so you kind of get this different fun sort of feeling to it it was like trying to do that at some parts but also using the pop songs every now and then and then also having a very inconsistent um use of original orchestral and so it just yeah it didn't gel very well for me um which is like i feel bad about that because i also thought that um like i thought this would be the one category we might be the most kind to <laughs> but apparently not. Yeah, I don't think like there was even was go ahead, just go that ahead. even what Josh said about like, you know, sometimes you play like a sad song when something happy is happening, or you know, you play like an upbeat song when something like weird like Tarantino does that a lot too. Like some of us most seeing the scenes are like that. But at no point in this film did I think they made a conscious choice to be like, oh, this is gonna be a mismatch of emotions. I just thought they didn't know what fucking music they were putting in to match any goddamn tones. Like, I don't think this was a conscious effort to be artistic. I think this was a conscious effort to suck. <laughs> which is which is weird, because I thought The Fifth Element did a good job of, of its, like, musical choices. I, I think just 20 years caught up to someone, and now he's a hack. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also don't feel like The of... Fifth Element, like, really took off when it came out either. No, that definitely sort of gained popular. Yeah, it's definitely a cult classic. And I think this this could uh, not the soundtrack, but you know the movie as a whole could hit that at some point. 
like maybe years from now, someone else could find this and be like, you know what, this does kind of, I kind of like this. This is kind of cool. But I, I definitely don't think it's going to hit fifth element status for me. No, yeah, I brought that same thing up to Sarah as we were finishing it this afternoon. That, you know, m- maybe in in time, you know, more more people can find a way to appreciate it. Yeah. Like, you would have to replace the whole soundtrack with Portishead for <laughs> anyone to latch onto this. Yeah, I don't know. The soundtrack, I I, try, I always try to remember what the orchestral stuff sounds like. And I again, I don't, it all just kind of goes with the movie. I don't remember anything that really stood out. I don't remember anything that... I mean, I don't. I guess I have less that really pulled me out of it, um, but I also don't really remember like any established themes for anything that is happening. It's just there. And yeah, obviously the most notable song you hear is the opening with David Bowie. That's the one that grabs you, and that's the one you remember. But everything after that is just forgotten. So, in uh, contrast, I, I can't find a budget number. But I, and I think this is uh, not adjusting for inflation. Fifth Element was released in 1997 and made $264 million worldwide. So it was made released 20 years earlier and unadjusted for inflation made, what, $40 million more? What did you say it made? $260? Two, uh, 264 Okay. Yeah, about $40 million more. You also had... Bruce Willis at the height of his career, which which helps this. The star this. power was there in that movie for sure. But you didn't yeah. have China, uh, mostly no, mostly not. Um, and you also might have also like Valerian probably benefited from inflated 3D prices. Oh yeah, even and you know yeah. still didn't hit the cap. So just just as a comparison to a, a, another, you know, Luke Luke Besson now becoming called classic Joint. thing. They said maybe this gets there eventually. Who knows? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else for soundtrack? Nope. Nothing. All right. Do better. <laughs> start a start a petition. Andy, where do you, where do you want to go next? Direction, uh, I story, like to go actors, with, uh, special effects, and explosions. Okay. Go for it. I thought the special effects were really good in this. I thought they were crisp. I thought they were clear. I didn't. It nothing like really took me out of anything. Yeah. I'd say the only moment that I thought I got a little just just a wee bit wonky is when he's in that suit and he's breaking through the walls. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good call out. Um, but everything else, like the ships, all looked great. That's the the battle that ended up destroying the the um, what the hell were they called? The pearls, homeworld. I thought was really awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all the environments they created for all of the all the species on Alpha, I thought was was pretty good. Um, were there any explosions? I'm gonna bow to Ian on that one. But so I mean, the plant I, blew I, up. I thought I thought this out of the categories that we were gonna review, I felt that this was by far the strength of the movie. Fair. Yes. Agreed. Ian, I thought you were going to lean into the explosions uh, comment. So we did have, as Josh was about to also mention, the planet explosion. So anytime you blow up a planet, it's pretty cool. I like this one. <laughs> it was like a dish-shaped beam shooting out of the planet, turning it into dust, and then <laughs> pretty cool explosion. You had the explosion at the end of the film where the spaceship pops out of the space station. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good explosion. And I think that might be it for explosions. 
But this is a solid explosion film. This is like a good 6, 7 out of 10 in that range of pure explosions. Like Andy said, the special effects were pretty good. Like even Rihanna's Blob character, like in Blob form, didn't look awful. Like it looked fine. Yeah. Like I think you could do much better nowadays because technology has improved a lot in four years. But like her transformations never felt wrong. They, they worked. I never was like, this is dumb. This isn't working. <laughs> it, it just it flowed correctly. That's also probably a little bit of the camera work, I think. Like, just how they shot that scene. Yeah. I thought that was good. A lot of the costumes, though, reminded me, like, of Mass Effect. Like, I really got Mass Effect oh, vibe yeah. from, like, the military outfits and the armor specifically. Like, I was like, wow, this is Mass Effect. And that's when I found out this came out in the 70s originally. <laughs> but I was still like, okay, they look different in the 70s. So they might still have copied Mass Effect. I still don't know why I never made the connection to Mass Effect until you just said that, but now I can't unsee that armor as like, oh, oh that's yeah. that's Shepard's armor, for sure. And then I guess this, just because of the slight controversy with the Mandalorian, I really noticed um, Cara Delevingne's character having, like, the breast armor. Yeah. You, you know, I just noticed that because there was the whole Mandalorian thing where people were complaining about that for that one female character. So then I just, it just was more noticeable after the fact that like, yeah, that's weird that her armor does have the breast in there. Yeah. I, but I then know. again, Matt, the Mass Effect armor did too. And that's where they copied it from. So. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't really understand. I never really got the complaint of like having the armor, having breast plates and stuff to me, that makes complete sense. I'm sort of unfamiliar with this. It, it, is it the idea that armor is made to fit the physical form of a woman? So therefore that's, bad because it's sexualizing or something yeah essentially they're saying in history throughout history women have always just worn the same armor as men because having like that flex out there in the chest area would actually be a weaker area of the armor and more susceptible to attack so someone like joan of arc would have worn the same armor a man wore same with uh move on okay I know that, and then it brings up that by putting the breast parts in there in the film, like in The Mandalorian, that it sexualizes the character mm-hmm. instead of treating them, you know, as an equal to the male. That was the main complaint. I don't, I think it was a little, I think part of the reason it happened to Disney is because it's Disney and yeah. sure, you can't make anything nowadays and not have everyone complain about it. Especially Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, we got them to change a movie. <laughs> They threw out a movie canon-wise because of us. So. Yeah, the internet won, everybody. And then we got the Snyder Cut! Fuck yeah! <laughs> uh, Josh, what did you think of the special effects? Uh, yeah, just uh, I, I would just echo everything else. There's there no, no Nobody could say that the movie does not look good. They, they, in most scenes, give you the impression that they created and fleshed out a full, real world. You yeah. know, in, in in all of their spots, I, I would say I, I think it almost tricks you eventually in making you think that you're actually more places than you are. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I mean, you you have the opening scene on the I guess quasi flashback of of Mule, and then you wake up with them two on their on their ship. They go to meet the crew on the other planet. You have that environment. Then they get back on their ship and end up back in back at Alpha. And then you're there for pretty much the rest of the movie. The rest of the movie is an alpha, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's a lot that you can do inside there, and that gives you the impression that like you're experiencing more of space than you really are, um, which is fine. I mean, if that's something they achieved, then great. Um, but yeah, other other than that, I mean, set design, 
was good. They, you know, from con from concept to image, they 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 had their shit under control. Yeah, I think you think they um drew any of like images or specific scenes from the comic book into this that you did the research on the comic book. Yes, they did. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good, safe answer there. Um, yeah, I think I'll, Na- I will... name, namely the namely the way the character looks. <laughs> so you don't think it was weird that they changed Lorraine to a blonde instead of a redhead, like she is in the original comic book? No, because that's the original comic book. Okay. <laughs> um, I think I think I forget who said it, but you know the the special effects being the the best part of this movie i think i will also agree with i think i don't know what it is but the even just the opening five ten minutes with the the montage of all these alien races coming to the space station and them being like meeting the humans even there like just seeing the alien designs it felt very fifth element to me yeah i don't know i don't know what it is about basan and the way that they design these aliens but they all feel like they'd fit in the same world to me which is good. Like I liked the the alien and, and creature design for the Fifth Element. I like the creature design here. I think it all looks really cool. Um, I think, like Josh said, they you get a very good sense of other stuff in this movie. Like even just the everything on the space station, hitting all the different environments, seeing all the different species, how they all coexist in this one place is really cool. And it gives you a, an excuse to make different shit all in the same place. Like that's I thought that was a fun idea. I like that. So I'm not positive on this, but I could have sworn around the time of the like marketing and press for Valerian that uh, I, I had heard that Luke Busson had been uh, Luke Besson um, had been a fan of these French comics for decades and had really wanted to make this movie for years and years, but like so many other things, like technological limitation wouldn't have allowed him to do anything that wouldn't have looked like crap. So I just checked in to see if it was fifth element does not look to be based on any source material. It, it, Luke Besson is credited with story and he's a co-writer in the screenplay as well as director. So it could stand a reason that potentially he's a, you know, he's a filmmaker he and, and he wants to do something like that, but he knows he can't. So through his position as producer, director of Fifth Element, he basically made, in in a way, at least from the look, made part of the movie that he didn't think he'd ever be able to. And that's why you get things earlier in the Fifth Element that seem similar to the overall design and, and feel of things from this source material. Yeah, I could I could buy that. There, you know, couldn't get the license for Valerian, so it made the Fifth Element. Uh, well, like, yeah, and, and like I said, even in like the late nineties, you could have made something, but maybe you know he he didn't think for what this needed that it really like the technology existed and the way to do it really happened. So, you know, just seemed like a pipe dream at the time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything left for special effects? I like the mirror thing. That's that was cool looking. Wait, what mirror? The, like I don't the 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 picture mirror the wall they walk through to transport at the end of the movie. Oh that yeah, they yeah. Attack, okay. That looked cool. Yeah. Little red white mosaic thingy. Yeah. Even even the design of those like robot the black 
robot troopers. That those things look fucking terrifying too. I, I, I know they didn't look like it, but all I thought was like, oh shit, it's the Cylons. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, there's just a couple like like even the I liked in the opening mon- like scene, like not just the aliens, but seeing the humans' outfits change over time. Yeah. I thought that was mm. cool to show like this is a lot of time passing that like even the military's updating what they wear. So one thing I noticed just from going through the cast list when I was looking at the movie, um, that two of the people credited as being welcoming admirals or captains or something, mm-hmm. one of them was Louis Latier, who directed The Transporter, mm-hmm. and another one was Oliver Megaton, who directed Transporter 3, both of which Luke Besson worked on. Cameos. So he's <laughs> pulling in some of his uh, directing buddies, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, Josh, I'll let you pick the next one. We have actors and characters, story or direction still on the board. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with direction. Okay. Um, because I, I, I feel like I want to parse this, but this is going to sound weird to lead off. I, I think I had a somewhat of an epiphany while I was watching this and that sounds really pretentious, but it was more like something clicked in my head that made me contextualize and realize something that I hadn't mentally connected the dots on earlier. Um, so let's, let's talk about the first piece of direction, which is again, if, if, if nearly every piece of everything that can be laid at the director's feet, there's a lot of good here that could be talked about, but there's also a lot of maybe not so good too. Um, Number one, the pacing on this movie is terrible. I agree. Uh, I don't know if it's in the edit or the, or the story outline. Um, in the first, like, 15 to 20 minutes, uh, pretty much, I think, probably for me, like, from the point where the two of them and their, like, they go meet that team at the desert planet that has, like, the hidden dimension place that they uh, need the glasses for, like, yeah. within a couple minutes, if that, of them getting there, I, I'm already losing interest. Yes, I agree. Um, and it, it, it gets a bit better once you slog through that and you get probably maybe halfway or more through. But through the, the movie or that like the, uh, the, the, the for me, the movie like okay. the, there's a section from like minute 15 to almost like minute 60 that I, I if it wasn't for this purpose, I would have turned it off again. <laughs> Um, and like, I, I know I'll get into it later. Like, I don't, I don't think the movie has a high wa- rewatchability factor whatsoever. I almost um, feel like that, that first sequence, like you're talking about up until the market, cause then it, the, the market's just kind of like an extended action sequence almost. Right. But that first 15, 20 minutes to get there, I almost feel like, like, again, I don't know how the comic was, if it was spread out over a bunch of issues or a graphic novel or how they did it, but the the first part of that movie always just seems like it's just trying to play catch up to get to where it wants to go very quickly. There's a lot of exposition. They're just mm-hmm. throwing shit at you real quick and real fast to get you somewhere, and you never really find your feet by the time you get there. Yeah, I agree. And 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 as you as you heard in in the background discussion, um, the con the you know the series ran for as as, as Ian mentioned for over four decades. So it it literally was a very very long running thing. So this particular thing was not. You know, it's, it's like anything that has like a lot of source material. You know, they, they, they looked for pieces of storylines. They looked for, you know, the main characters and the arc and went on and then, you know, made a story out of, 
major pieces that they could you know pick from and, and cherry pick and whatnot um but so on the, on the direction yeah i gotta say unfortunately the, the the pacing is terrible but the the epiphany that i had was i i i think i think i finally realized why star wars never hooked me <laughs> um, i want to hear this but also like this was weird like i had like three or four strong thoughts in a row and the first one was this is why star wars never interested me all that much but this is why so in contrast to that this is why i really like rogue one because rogue one is not made like any of those other movies like especially the, the original trilogy um the first star wars movie especially new hope to me felt like this in the regard that and actually you know what even you could throw in like episode one to this too maybe even parts of two there's a lot of the story crafting of that where a third or more of the incidents if you will the things that take place don't need to happen there's stuff that a creator came up with for world building that there's like this sequence should happen they should they should go to this place and this should happen to them and it matters nothing it has no bearing on what happens you could get from a to b in a straight line instead of a roundabout curve half of the plot that's happening is all mcguffin and you're and i get it you're watching someone's imagination incarnate and i i get it um and that's fine but i i think that like that's how i feel about some especially of the of the main star wars movies that you're 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 watching what's in someone's head but you're not really watching a story if that if that makes sense and and i also feel like that's why i actually enjoyed rogue one so much because that was written and made in a different way it was made as an action war movie and an espionage movie it was not made as a as a space sci-fi let, let me take your characters off on this side path just so that they encounter a, a creature I can show you and, and this setting that I want to show you, even though it doesn't matter that they're there. Yeah. Um, so that, that that's kind of how I, I came down on all this. Um, I also realized that this also reminded me, though, very much of a lot of Terry Gilliam type movies from the 80s. Like this has stuff like Baron von Munchausen written all over it. And things like Brazil, like a lot of the stuff he made in the 80s feels very much like this. Like the story's not that good and it's very basic, but it's 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 someone's it's someone's brain on the screen. And it's a creator that you're 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 watching what's in their head. That's my piece. OK, so that's, I guess I'm just trying to figure out, like, what about it? Is there if there's anything you would have liked out of that or what would have made you like it? Like if like you to me it's almost like okay well this it's interpret you're interpreting the story out of someone's head and that's what you don't like is the way they interpreted it or the story, it 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 becomes the story but in this case the director is also the adapter, and he's in charge of what and presenting what you what you're seeing, and okay. they're sacrificing story for showing you shit. Okay. Like there that whole sequence where they are in that. For the most part, the whole sequence when they're in that uh, cave when she goes in and there's the like twinkly light firefly things, you could get her 
captured by those things and put like it, it, honestly like that almost that whole sequence from the time she finds him to the time he goes to meet Rihanna and rescues her has basically no bearing on the whole story. It's a side True. quest to deal yeah. with something that occurred to them. Yeah. You could cut 20 minutes out of that movie. Yes. Um, anybody else want to chime in? We got two minutes on the clock, two and a half minutes. So I think like what Josh was saying, like with um, the early part where they're doing that mission, like the whole point of that long ass sequence is to just establish character personality. And I don't think you need 20 minute heist to do it. You could do that much quicker in another way like that. That's the whole point of that. And then the Rihanna scene, you could also cut to another like 15, 20 minutes to just establish their relationship, like how it's changing and how he finds out maybe feelings are real. Maybe I like people not for playlist adding. And it's really just the whole like there's there's a lot of edits that could have been made to get this nice under two hours. Which would have made my life a lot easier today. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess just other than that, like nothing was that impressive. Like specifically on that desert planet mission and they running away from that dog monster thing. And then it uses slow-mo to like show them jump. It seemed unnecessary and there was zero tension for me in that whole sequence. Yeah. Because they all they did was establish he's the best person. Um, Andy, what do you think? Um, I, I like the fact that uh, Ian mentioned Rihanna in that because I feel like that whole scene where she does like the, the performance is just like Luke Besson saying like, what can I get Rihanna to do <laughs> right now? Like what what kind of fan service can I do to, to make people who come see this Not movie? Not fan service, fantasy. See? What fantasy? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, just – I just felt like that, that whole scene was uh, – uh, it was kind of fun. Okay, I'll give it that. But it had no bearing whatsoever on any of the story. Right. Um, as far as the rest of the directing, I, I I thought it was fine. Like like the setup of the scenes was fine, and and like I don't I don't feel like anybody really gave a super great performance. We'll get to so the performances with characters. I know, but like as a director, you have to realize and see actors' performances, and you can like have them do retakes and whatnot. You know. Yeah. And I feel like did an okay job with that because this is nothing like really blew me away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I feel like I'm with Josh. Pacing is a problem. Uh, so I will definitely chalk that up to to having an issue with the movie. The action sequences I think were fine. I I don't feel like direction was bad for the action sequences. I feel like they again they everything looked pretty. Uh, which goes a long way, I think, for me in a in a movie that really leans into the visuals. I think that helps give it at least a passing grade. Um, I like I didn't feel like the action sequences were to the point where I didn't really understand what was going on. Like, and there is a lot of shit going on, but I still felt like I could follow it well enough. Sure. Um, and again, the opening montage, I think, for me, that first five ten minutes of just the the decades and centuries of of the space station improving and all that stuff before they just hurled it into space like trash was fine. I, I liked all that. I think that's a very memorable sequence for me. Probably one of the most out of the movie, actually. Now but that I'm trying to remember what else happened. Shouldn't peak in the first four minutes because you're using one of the five best Bowie songs. <laughs> and yeah, maybe the song probably helped keep it in my memory for sure. 
and then, but, and then you and then you leave it off with Rutger Hauer, and you're like, oh, I'm on a, I'm I'm in good hands. Here we go. Yeah, it's got a chance. Um, all right, so let's just go to characters and actors, and s- sort of spin from there. Um, anybody want that one? Who did not go yet? I mean, three you? of you went. I could go oh, if you want. You. Yeah, you all go right. first for one. You allowed? I, 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 if you if you allow me, I usually try not to, but I'll take it. Um, I got I got big takes on Danes. <laughs> well, that's that's where I'm going to start because Andy kind of started with like, I he felt miscast. Dane DeHaan did not feel like this character to me at I, all. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. He goes on this exposition rant right when you meet him about his background and how great he is and how much he's really trying to get in Lorelai's pants. And, you know, I don't feel like that's the best way to introduce this character. No, I but I love that because it, it, he had more Medal of Honors than they made Medal of Honor games. Yeah, whatever. Sure. <laughs> I think if you I think if you had an actor that had some charisma and some some slight type of charm, those the dialogue probably would land better. But nothing about that whole conversation is like, okay, I'm going to root for this guy. He just came off like, well, who the fuck is this dick? I don't care anything yeah. about yeah. him. <laughs> he does come off it, very dickish. In, in the first half an hour, I wrote a note that at times, and I, I, I forgot about this because we, we typically cut her down a lot. I said there are times where I found her acting better than his. And that's my next note is that everything coming in this movie, I've heard that the two lead actors are terrible. And I thought I would agree with Dean DeHaan. I thought Cara Delevingne's performance is probably one of the best in the movie. And I actually think it's probably granted. I have not seen her in a lot. A lot of what I remember her from is Suicide Squad. So I'm comparing this to Suicide Squad. And I think this Mm -hmm. is 10 times better than Suicide Squad. Uh, But she was definitely a highlight for me. She I think I expected shit and she actually gave some emotion and some nuance to the role and was a lot more likable than valerian was so she, at least i was... couldn't latch on to him but i latched on to her see yeah. i i hated her i don't think she <laughs> was a bad actress but i hated her character <laughs> okay um who else was it uh ethan hawk i was like what the fuck is he doing here he didn't he had no bearing in this movie at all like i i could have done without him not well, that he had the second best character name true true bob the pirate is first yes. the, the pimp is the second <laughs> yes but true. it's like i had to like he shows up He's there, and it's like, is it Ethan Hawke? And then before you realize, okay, yes, that he's Ethan Hawke, and maybe he has something to do. No, he's dead. He's gone. They never revisit him again. So it's worthless. <laughs> it could have been anybody. Um, Rihanna was good. Obviously, the whole dance sequence, yes. Thumbs up. Uh, she actually had some acting to do, which was good. I, I think I expected her to be in the movie a little bit longer. I was surprised she was in it for as brief as she was. But they um, immediately they, killed they... her off. <laughs> what was that? Like, it's like she was only there to shoot over like a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And I, I, so Sarah got home from work as that scene was ending. Like the, the, she dances for him and he says, Hey, I need your help. Part was ending. She had the same reaction to Ethan Hawke as well. So from the moment she got home till like 12 minutes later, that character dies and they play it in the same way way as though like they just lost a long time member of the team yeah like that like the emotional punch that they were trying to make it be like i i I was sad for her she didn't seem bad in those 12 minutes as a being but i didn't get a shit that the character died and to the point it's no fault of rihanna's that's just story and writing and pacing and stuff yeah yeah yeah. um the last note i have for characters that is that clive owen is predictably evil that's all i got yeah 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 uh, I the other part that you said about Dane being miscast, I think they both were. 
um and, and this might be like a humble brag for them i don't know but <laughs> um i don't they they both look too young for me to believe almost all of their backstory or their credentials fair point i i i can't really see them in in those in those i i can't accept them as soldiers and longtime agents like they look like they're 19 right yeah and and i, I future agree. skin cream <laughs> yeah again mm-hmm. that, again that, that's fine if you give me somebody who looked a little I mean, more hardened i mean that one alien like does face wash with pearls yes that's got to be amazing for your skin <laughs> <laughs> got to bottle that and get, sell it at the farmer's market first so, you gotta get that gerbil that poops it all out then. yeah <laughs> well it's gonna sell it to Mosantos. <laughs> uh yeah and i think that also their 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 appearance and their their youthfulness also didn't make me give a crap or th- like I, it actually made me had the opposite reaction to the whole love story side of them oh that's like, yeah that's the, a whole, whole the issue. whole way the whole way they they wrote it was like okay he's a dick she doesn't like him he's not listening i don't want like i'm not rooting for him to get the girl um no and since they look so young i'm like look at these naive jagoffs like what, yeah what, what what life experience do they have what do they know like they just graduated high school yeah i, I think part of that issue was just it's also with the other categories like director and story is that they never showed us that they had a longer background than this is like their first mission together right Right. It yeah. felt to me like they just had meant, and he's in love with her. So I thought he was just being like a Zap Brannigan, Captain Kirk kind of thing. <laughs> but apparently he actually loved her. So that was weird. And then I guess just Dane DeHaan in general, I thought he was doing his best Keanu Reeves impression throughout <laughs> this film. But this isn't a Keanu rule. Like in John Wick, you find out he's a badass because everyone tells you, and then he does things. This character tells you he's a badass, and then just kind of runs away from problems. <laughs> That's a good yeah, way to put like, it. He just, he just was miscast. It, like, like I mean, the direction they gave him for how to act was poor. This character yeah. is just like doing this very like monotone, like Keanu Reeves kind of thing. But you need like a Ryan Reynolds, like a more higher energy, like you said, charismatic person. Yeah. In yes. this role, you need a William Shatner. <laughs> or a, um, a, whoever played Zap Brannigan. You need yeah. that kind of energy in this and not like, um, like not this, not, not dollar store Keanu Reeves. There's That's a, funny. Kara, Kara, she was not professional at all in any time, constantly rolling her eyes. It's like, how did you get promoted to sergeant if this is how you act? You're talking about two other people. I because I she yes. rolls her eyes all the time to Valerian, which I totally get. And I'm on board. But she for. does that to like the other people in the military, like the commander when they give her orders and stuff. Okay, like, yeah, I got you. Like, I know they're special, super secret agents, and they're the top two somehow. Even though one's a major and one's a sergeant, but like that's just this isn't good for the hierarchy <laughs> if you're constantly undermined by this lady, and then your lead agent's like a knockoff archer, who's not even that cool. <laughs> Well, that's how, like, you know, super agent, super soldier movies go, right? You always have to go rogue and, you know, disobey orders and go off the rails. That's how all these movies work. I thought it it was, but then at the end, Dane's like, I gotta follow orders and return the fucking generator. Which seems so out of character compared to what it was set up for the entire movie. And and what he had already done by that point. Right. 
The only reason I knew to expect it because I looked up the story and it mentions like in it, like in the original comic books, that Valerian's like by the book, by the orders kind of guy and will listen to orders even if he doesn't agree with them. But at no point up until the end does he do that. Yeah, he never does it, but he says it a few times that that's the way he is and that's the way his character is. But never do you see it. This is this is yeah. a very – I'll get to it with story because I think it fits more with story. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay, and then other than that, like, everyone else was fine. Bob the Pirate was awesome for his short scene. That Those knockoff Star Wars aliens that had all the information were kind of cool. I like, <laughs> they I like stole the show, concept. in my opinion. I love those three. It was like the Men three, in Black. The three, the three pigeons. She yeah. called them pigeons. And they're, what the fuck are pigeons? I thought they were really awesome, actually. Yeah, and then, I guess, like, just for characters, the people from, was it Bueller? Planet Bueller? The Pearl people. No, Mule. From Planet Buell, but I was doing Mule. a Bueller joke. <laughs> it landed. And, oh, thank you. <laughs> as soon as they appear on screen, I guess this might also be character design stuff. I was like, holy fuck, they actually made Avatar 2. Dude, my note is uh, the albino Avatar people yes! were Dude, in like, this movie. Like, even the CG like makes them look even more Avatarian. And like they're one with the planet. They're just and then minus they, the like, sex tales. And then when they like were like, oh, we learned all this technology and shit. I was like, holy shit, that's the script for Avatar 3. <laughs> They skipped an avatar to make this. This is this is the backdoor uh, avatar prequel. Um, and then I also wrote down this might be Avatar Four by the very end. <laughs> uh, Andy, what do you got for characters? Uh, I, I I agree with everyone's sentiments. Uh, I think their Dahan was just totally unbelievable in his role. I just I I didn't believe that he could kick anybody's ass whatsoever. I I didn't feel like he did any training whatsoever just he didn't fit the bill in in my head at all and i feel like they were trying to make like this weird sizzling relationship between him and cara delavine or whatever yeah. and it just it, it fell very flat it, I, I thought like... she did i thought she did fine mm-hmm. especially when she was away from him i thought that she was fine in her in her scenes where she that he wasn't in it um the only other note that I'll say since we just hit the timer is the the character that I would have loved to have heard more about was actually the ship, Alex. Oh, yeah. Mm, they cool. never explain what the fuck. All of a sudden, he's like talking to, he's like, Alex, show me this. Alex, do that. Like, at least in Iron Man, he, they explain sort of what Jarvis is. Yeah. You know, they don't explain anything about Alex and yeah, it's how... like all the all the exposition and stuff you want them to tell you about, they don't. And all the stuff I... you hope the story just tells you, they explain to you through exposition. Right. I thought this was a good lean into the next category, but like I don't need a lot of expedition exposition. It could just be one line dialogue and I'd have been fine with it. Right. I'd have gone with it. But give me yeah. something. Don't just be like I'm talking to the ship, Alex. Yeah, because even blah, like, and you're just he's like, an advanced AI that we made at the Federation. Yeah, yeah, something. And anything. he does this. Yeah, yeah. Like their their initial scene where they're like they get out of the beach simulation and they're going to get in their driver's seat pods or whatever. I didn't at first understand. Like uh, they're just talking to someone else who's like aboard the ship, who's you know operations and tech support and etc. Yeah. It took me a while till like midway yeah. through when he's again like remotely asking for information 
yeah, from it from I've... like another planet. Like, oh, okay, yeah. he's, he's miles away, and it, like this is how it's this is what it actually is. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that they throw at you, they're sort of they sort of just have faith that you're gonna connect whatever mysterious thoughts that they just gave you. Yeah, or just I... not think about it. Yeah, I I know I know our buzzer went off. I'm gonna say one last thought. The character that I this time around found that I found more interesting than actually many of them and would have liked more time with them is the other general uh who ended up having to take command after clive owen yeah uh, gets yeah i did uh, like him actually yeah his, his uh the actor is sam spruel his uh, character is general octobar <laughs> uh <laughs> take that for what you will um but yeah i, I actually found myself really digging him yeah, he was good too. I agree. Well, they just never let him figure anything out. He was just reacting to things and being yeah. like, "Put more men on it." That was like his orders. I feel but like I, he he was the only character that had any clue that there was something amiss other than Valerian that acted rational. Yes. Well, Valer- but yes. Valerian was like, by when he saw something was amiss, it was just, "I'm gonna do the most reckless thing possible right now." Right. But I'm following the book. <laughs> <laughs> except i'm not um andy i think you're ready to uh transition to stories you want to take the story uh there are so many gaps in this story i don't even know where to begin um <laughs> the, the the part that they show you the scene right at the beginning right and you see all this stuff fall from the skies and the only thing that you've seen prior to that is is them pushing alpha away from earth and then all of a sudden you're 400 years later. Yeah. Right. Um, I I was left to assume that the parts that were falling into their atmosphere were parts of Alpha. I agree. And and uh, like I I would have liked a little bit of I don't know the um, flashback scene of the general like in the battle and whatnot. I would have liked that a lot sooner in the movie to explain a little bit of that yeah. instead of me like, what the fuck? Like I thought Alpha was destroyed, you know? Yeah, because I think I I made the same leap that you did because and my thought was like, hey, they're just putting this space station sphere thing and they're just putting rockets on one side and just flinging it out into space. It didn't yeah. seem like they had any direction where it was no, going to go. Yeah, we just, just went away from here. Like, Get away from Earth. You're going to fuck us over. Get out there. <laughs> <laughs> they said it on the Magellan curve. Did they say that? Yeah, because they, they mentioned how Magellan was an explorer, so that's why it made sense for this ship to go on the Magellan curve. Oh, yeah, that went way over my head. That's as much as you get, though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a real thing, but <laughs> that's what they did. <laughs> okay, so it was a piece of exposition that I missed, so that's on me, then. Like, it's weird, though, because but, that happened, like, right as Bowie ended. So I don't know how you weren't still paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just saw the rockets go on one side and just start to boost up. And I'm just thinking, where is this hunk of trash going? And how are they telling literally when they go? told you. <laughs> I, again, my my thoughts were going probably as the exposition was coming at me. So I just drowned it out. You're probably like, fuck Magellan. Where's this fucking thing going? Right. <laughs> this is gonna kill somebody and then to andy's credit that's the next scene you see is shit raining from the sky so i thought my thought process was correct yeah no i i thought that too it was just like huh yeah see, that would make sense but i thought they were just under attack that's why i thought avatar was happening it's uh. <laughs> like not only is it avatar people they're under attack holy shit avatar pearls that's unobtainium <laughs> it was connected all the dots they that- they didn't, the story didn't do a very good job of 
straightening out who the fuck uh, Valerian and whatever the hell her name was like reported to and, and what their purpose was. The Federation, because whatever council, World whatever the State fuck it Federation. was. I don't know what the hell it was. But um, <laughs> they, yeah, they didn't really do a very good job of establishing what, what their Chain role was in anything. Um, they didn't do a good job of establishing story-wise, like, why there was a giant space battle out in front of Mule. Right. At all. They didn't even, like, mention who they were fighting, why they were fighting, any of that jazz. Um. It definitely feels like, like, the movie feels like it should be, like, a first chapter to something. But this movie didn't make money, so we're never going to get the other chapters. So there's a lot of loose plot threads that just don't go anywhere. Right. Um, you got anything else for story? Uh, I might. I can't think of any right now. Currently, okay, we'll come back to any you. notes. But uh, Ian, what do you got for story? Dog shit. Like so, <laughs> I never at like any point understood why anyone was doing anything. <laughs> like it was like so loosely connected. Like let's just keep going and doing stuff. Like I didn't understand. Like. Like during the Rihanna part, why that was even happening? Like, why? Why are you guys even on a mission still? Like, you found her, bring her home. It's cut. We're done. You finished yeah. the mission. Like, it's just like who? Like, this general's covering up genocide by genocide two. <laughs> I guess like genocide, like electric boogaloo genocide. Like, it's I even didn't cider. <laughs> like, why didn't you just send in the killbots? 20 years ago, five years ago, one year ago. Yeah. Like you didn't need the replicator to kill all of the aliens. You could have just done that. <laughs> and then the chain of command is fucked. Like, they keep reporting to this minister who has no real role because the, the, the general, that you know, the commander, Clive Owen, he's apparently in charge. He's the only one that has access to certain data. And then is also the representative for the World State Federation. So does he outrank the minister? Does he report to the minister? It is very unclear. And yeah. then them being special agents, it's not like clear. Are they even part of the real military organization of the World State Federation? Like, Star Trek has rules. The Federation breaks them <laughs> constantly. But there are rules that we at least know about. There's no rules here. Shit happens for no reason. Fucking... Aliens can send out fucking memories through time and space and 30 years later, some fucking backshit Keanu Reeves douchebag can suck up those memories, and it means nothing. The only thing it leads to is him being like, I'm going to keep doing what I normally would do, be reckless as fuck. Right. Like, it made no, it did no reason for him to get those memories. It didn't change a goddamn thing that occurred. And I, like, it's just a fucking mash of ideas and bullshit flowing through that no one said, hey, maybe we should take another look at the script. <laughs> it fucking, it, I, it was a first draft. It, sorry. It was probably a third draft because it's Hollywood, but there should have been like a seventh rewrite and there wasn't. And that's very clear here. Yeah. Uh, Josh, what do you think? I think I ended up kind of touching on my piece with this in my uh, comments about direction that it would it definitely sacrificed anything really seeming to make sense for hey let me show you something yeah it's very it was a very it was it was it was movie by fire marshal bill mentality 
yeah, I do think that, like this this story just it didn't connect when it should. It, I just felt like it was jumping all over the place, and it was hard to keep track of what was going on and why. Right, and and honestly, it is it is very basic. Bad thing happened. Guy trying to cover it up. They find a thing. They go looking for a thing. They end up at the truth. They help people try. Well, to, to make Andy's it. point, you don't even but, figure out the bad guy tried to cover it up until three fourths of the way through the movie. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And, and like, like all, up all until that, then, you're just like, okay, they need this gerbil. Yeah, and and all that's <laughs> happening along the way, but really, like, I I think it's actually such a simple idea for the most part. Like the basics are so simple that everything in between to to is is a lot of fluffer to to just fill in the rest of time. Yeah. No, it's it's like he's like, okay, I got my budget. I'm gonna shoot it, and then he would. They told him, oh yeah, you can have a longer runtime than like, uh, ninety minutes. And he was like, wait, what? And then he didn't know how to edit it down because he just was allowed to go longer than it should have. I yeah, I, I the other thing that stood out to me too, less about the story, just about the dialogue. The dialogue is so fucking cringy in this movie, and I think it most really of it. Is. It comes from Valerian. Valerian's yes. dialogue is completely cringy. Well, it's because yes. it doesn't have that Zap Brannigan Zap. Or yeah. Like, like if it was like tongue in cheek, almost that would have been something. Or if it was just like a really good actor, because that's part of the problem of Valerian. I, I don't want to say this to Dane because I'm sure he does just well, but he's not like that attractive. Where I'm gonna give let him get away with this to say it to my face. And he literally says in the movie, I'm attractive. Like, and like I, I was the like, same no. thought. I was like, no, you're you're not high <laughs> on the list for this. These actors like you're not Hollywood attractive. Yeah. Well, there there's there's a swagger to that character that, you know, and, and Han Solo broke the archetype for this or or said it maybe even. Yeah. But there's that element missing from him where. He he goes literally from complete dick to having his like black book literally on visual display for the woman he's currently trying to woo or court but the other side of it like it yeah just the 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 other side of it isn't there Mm -hmm. There, there's the idea where like i don't know the, the 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 genuineness or the the you know hero in the end or there's just something about it that it's it's missing from either what was written for him or his ability to pull it off. Yeah, I think the I didn't think about in my mind. I kept thinking like, who would I replace Dean DeHaan with if I had my choice? And the one I kept coming back to was Ryan Reynolds. I think Ryan Reynolds could pull off the dialogue that Dean DeHaan has given. But I didn't think about like the Han Solo type. Like I could see that archetype working also if somebody plays that type of character. Yeah, Nathan Valerian. Fillion. Yeah, yes, yeah, that would work too. Yeah. But, well, yeah, because. Firefly was exactly. like, created right off of that archetype yeah. as well. And that, that's the thing. I mean, part of it was like, could they deliver the lines he was given? But in conjunction with that, some different lines need to be given. For sure. Yeah. And and, and I think the comment we made about her acting, sometimes not coming off as bad as we might have thought, at least myself, um, was in reaction to that. Like, she almost plays it flat in so many places. But her delivery and that performance to his version of his character makes her they, work better. Yes, I agree. Yeah, she almost has to be flat just to right. coincide like with what she he's... She can't flirt back to it. She can't buy into it. She can't... It, 
like that's the only appropriate way to deal right. with how clownish it comes off sometimes. Yeah, clownish is a good word. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I'll say about the story is it they they force the relationship on you in this movie. The entire you know, time. The right entire at the start. Entire time. Right at the start, he's like, "Marry me," and I'm like, "What the fuck is he yeah, really asking her to marry you? that at all?" Yeah, Which, it yeah. just. It just and it and it and it and it keeps trying to force it on you, and then at the end, I don't give a shit. I don't. Nah. I don't give a shit if he gets the girl at all. Yeah, you know, and and that's that's not a good story. I I would have been <laughs> happier if it turned out that she told him she was leaving him for one of the pearls. Yeah, <laughs> or for Alex. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take like, your ship and your AI. Fuck you. <laughs> like I I think a lot of this problem with my story was. They wrote 60 minutes of story because they really wanted to show me a different 60 minutes. <laughs> you know, like half the movie exists just to get me other places. And they yeah. just mm-hmm. never had that first idea. Like, you know, it's easy to film on a dust bowl and then just CG the rest of it. Yeah. I'd agree. Um, right. So we made through all of our categories. Uh, the one question we try to end with, do you think this movie holds up? I guess uh, it's hard to ask, do you ever think it held up? Because it's only four years old. But I guess, how do you think compared to 2017 to now, think it holds up? I guess I would say that I I, I wouldn't say that it doesn't hold up. I almost feel the question transcends. Like, it's not almost the most appropriate question for this particular movie. Yeah. Like, it's not that it doesn't hold up. It's just a matter of whether it was enjoyable or well done uh and, and i said well let me answer this i think the my, i'll answer that by my prior comment a while ago saying that i don't think this has a high rewatchability okay uh andy what do you think special effects i'm gonna break it down to two special effects wise yes it does hold up uh story characters Everything else about the movie, no, it doesn't. Okay. Uh, Ian? Baby Driver, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Justice League, Dunkirk, all came out in 2017, and all of those like hold up still, and I would rewatch those. I never want to see this film again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I... I... I, I feel like I echo a lot of what these guys say. I think visually this movie is very stunning. I feel like if, if I watched it again, it would be to just look at it. I don't care about the story of the characters. It would just be to look at the visuals in motion. So, so mute it and then put on like a Daft Punk soundtrack. Oh, you, <laughs> you might actually found really I might have to do that this weekend. That sounds like an excellent <laughs> idea. I'm not even joking. How much can you appreciate just watching the visuals and this, just this, have your own soundtrack this becomes, playing? This becomes the next uh, Wizard of Oz Pink Floyd <laughs> this is how this movie becomes a cult classic. That's yeah, fun. We just found it. This is it. <laughs> Put on the Tron cut. We should oh, do it first, yes. guys. We should do it first. Let's all get together and do like an MST3K. We're listening to Daft Punk or we're watching Valerian. Yeah, to Ian's credit, that's that Tron soundtrack, just because I fucking love it. Yeah. Put that perfect. bastard on. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See how well it syncs up with the action sequences. I'm game. Um, all right, so we're going to revisit the ratings from before. We'll see where we land. Um, 
the ratings for Rotten Tomatoes. Again, Critic is at 47%. Audience is at 53%. Metacritic is a Metascore of 51. User score of 6.4. So do you agree, disagree with those ratings? And what is your rating out of 10 for this movie? I don't know if you want, you want me to pick somebody or do we have any yes. volunteers? Okay. Uh, Andy, do you want to go first? Uh, I, I would tend to agree with the the ratings. I think this has enough in special effects and things that I did like that I think it's it's slightly above average for me, so I'm going to give it a six. Okay. Uh, Josh, where do you land? P- pretty much the same justification, but I... I... I, 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 for, for me, there's something about turning the corner on six that makes you feel like you're in you're in the top fifty percentile. So I can't let it get there. Yeah, <laughs> you mean, at least the six means it's technically good. Yeah. So I like, immediately told Sarah when we were done with it, I was like, "Yeah, that's that's like a C movie. That's that's what that is. Like a C minus. So um, it's a seven. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it." Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to give it a 5.75. Okay. That's Josh's first double decimal rating. <laughs> you heard it here. Uh, Ian, where are you at? So I I, I was going to give it a higher score until we started talking about it. And I realized <laughs> this this movie is even worse than I thought it was. Like It just was like, yeah, that was really bad. That's, that was dumb. Because part of me was like, was this better than Cowboys and Aliens? Hmm. Because and those are also like our two space movies. They are also two where I didn't have a great love for the soundtrack or characters or story. It's a fair point. So part of it then became, huh? I guess if you like westerns and you're desperate, you'd watch Cowboy and Aliens. But if you're desperate for a space film, I still wouldn't watch this. So it is getting a four from me. Oof. Okay, I like the rationale there. Yeah, yeah. Um. And see, I really now now I really want to ask what I gave Cowboys and Aliens, but I kind of don't want to know because I just want to see where I land with this one. Um, yeah, I I agree with the scores. It does feel just very middle of the road for me. Uh, and I agree with Andy. I think that again, I'll, I'll keep saying it. The visuals for this movie, I think, are really really top notch, and I really really enjoy them. And the art design and character design and set design, all that stuff, I think, works for me. Um, the characters and story is is lacking. I've only seen this once. I'm I'm still I'm actually very much on the fence about if I'd watch it again. If I if I watch it again with muted and playing the Daft Punk Tron soundtrack, <laughs> I don't think counts as a rewatch because I feel like I'd have to give the full movie a rewatch to make it count. So, so but, I, but even if I before, do that this weekend, I'm not counting it as a rewatch. Before you give your number, I actually I meant to say this at some point. If if I had to rate this without rewatching it i i probably would have said like a four like three and a half four something around there 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 were parts of it that i i found that i i liked more than my memory told me i did yeah but i don't know how much yeah like i don't know what degree to think like like would future brian rewatching this at some point you know get that much more out of it yet i don't know and that's the thing it's like you know most movies i i try to watch twice i haven't been doing it for the rewind theater just because we i I never give myself enough time to watch the movies twice typically um but for new movies i still try to do that and it's to the point where expectations are there for the first viewing and then the second viewing you know what the movie is you you're 
a little bit more forgiving for some stuff, which, you know, may help or hurt what you think of the movie. So for this one, you know, after a first viewing, I keep trying to think, like, would I rewatch it again? And I feel like I would probably at some point, probably not anytime soon, but at some point re will rewatch this again. So I I was looking at like a five, so I'm just going to uptick it just a little bit because, yes, I probably will at some point rewatch this. So I'm going 5.5. So that's where I'm landed. Uh, so that's it for Valerian. Um, so now we go to the part of the show that I hope everyone is looking forward to. We get to spin the Wheel of Fate. The Wheel of Fate! So, again, the wheel will feature three franchises, three standalone movies. Uh, the idea behind it has always been to try to keep a variety going. Uh, so we're still, you know, getting a feel for this. I, I still think it's, we're still trying to work out the kinks and how this feels and what movies are getting selected, how quickly we're getting through things. So we may, we may re retool it at some point, but for now, this is what we're sticking with. Um, since Valerian was one of the standalone movies that has left the wheel, uh, we spun a separate wheel that we have with all of our results in it uh, to figure out what replaces Valerian. So the standalone movie that will be replacing Valerian is Captain America. But not the Captain America you might think. It's from 1990, pre-MCU Captain America. It's it's a one-off, so we're going to we're going to put that as a standalone movie. That is that is on the wheel now. Um and as far as other standalone movies that are still on the board, we have Supergirl and Speed Racer. Uh the three franchises that are still there, uh we're still working our way through Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. Uh Ghost Rider is there and Ian's still holding out hope for Ghost in the Shell. I just want to say, I think it says a lot about a film when you explaining all of the different types of wheels we use is more, I can understand that a lot better than the plot of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad, but we're going to, we'll go with it. Okay, so remember, listeners, once we finish Ghost in the Shell, I no longer appear on the show. <laughs> there, there's what, three, three in that franchise, though? Correct. So, so once we finish all three. <laughs> Yeah, I'm fully expecting him to leave once that once that comes up and, and it's gone. He's just going to suddenly be busy for every movie we pick after. Oh, that. I'm going to move to Oklahoma and everything. Like, it's, I'm getting out. Even though we do Oklahoma. this remotely, so it doesn't matter where you live. Like it, we could do this anywhere. No, there's no internet in Oklahoma. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, unnecessarily punish himself thinking that he's getting away more. Yeah, yeah I can't do it, guys. I'm in Oklahoma. Still call now. him next week after he's moved to Oklahoma. Does this? Oh shit. If I go further, though, I'll be like, oh, it's work hours when you guys record at 6.30. You know, it's 3.30 <laughs> well, here. I'm working. True, true. He's got to get to the other time not zones. the west. Where do you think Oklahoma is? Well, no, I af afterwards, I realized I got to go further west. <laughs> yeah. But I'm assuming Oklahoma is <laughs> mountain time. Yeah, it's central. Oh, damn. How <laughs> do you think mountain time? Is that even real? It's mountain time real. <laughs> Find out on my next now. podcast. Time, time. <laughs> time, time. <laughs> Um, all right, you guys can see the wheel, correct? Yep. Yep. All right, here we go. We're spinning. Can you also make the wheel bigger. Like <laughs> Every time. <laughs> I'm still holding out hope for I want to get to more turtles, to be honest. That or Speed Racer. Those are my two. Yeah, I really I can't wait to see where the franchise goes from their speed, best film. Speed Racer or Ghost Rider? Ghost Rider. Yes! Oh, there it is. Ghost Rider. <laughs> Bringing on the Nick Cage. Yeah. Sorry, and Ghost in the Shell is still on the board, though. And it's Ghost. It starts. It also starts with Ghost. I'm, like, conflicted. <laughs> You're half excited. I do love me some Nick Cage. There you go. And this win. is one of the few rewatches for me. Hey, there we go. We found one you've seen already. 
I don't know if that's good or bad. I, I it was what 2007. I, so I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Have you is, have you seen it since then, or this that's it? I saw it once in theaters. Oh man! All right, this gonna be nice. fun. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I've seen this. I have seen this one as well, but it's been it's been a while. It's been a long time. Yeah. Like all I remember is he's got a uh, flame head. <laughs> yeah. And um, if I remember correctly, he uses his signature catchphrase, "Flame on." No, 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 wrong, wrong movie. Now I'm pretty sure that's Ghost Rider. It says "Flame on." No, that's Captain America that says that. No, I thought he just kicks Hitler. <laughs> um, all right, I so that's it. it for us. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, please support us. Leave a five star rating and review. Uh, give us a share on social media. Be sure to follow or subscribe to the show to keep up with us. We are on Spotify, iTunes, Google, Anchor, Stitcher. Uh, hopefully anywhere you find a podcast, you can find us. Uh, you can also look us up on Facebook. Search Bry Guy into Super Friends or go to facebook.com slash Superfriends. Uh, you can send us questions, comments, topics, suggestions, any of that stuff. Uh, we'll see on the Facebook page. Uh, try to email us, Superfriends at gmail.com. I checked it like four weeks ago. It's still not empty. Nothing in there. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at BG Superfriends. Uh, you can follow me on Twitch, Jedi Bry Guy. That's Jedi with an I, Bry with a Y. Uh, so whenever hot. we decide to Andy cut it out anytime we decide to uh, go live uh, we will do it there which I, I don't know when we'll ever do it again live but it's it's always in the back of my head that we'll we'll find an excuse to do that uh, I have been streaming Godzilla was yeah we still didn't do Godzilla um, I, I have been streaming more recently so if you want to watch some gameplay of me playing some stuff with some friends that's usually where we're at um, and that's it uh, on behalf of Andy Ian Josh and myself thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time Abuya.